Hey, and welcome to the Fleet Champions Podcast, where each week we chat to the people that have the stories, topics, and opinions on all things fleet. Real champions that keep the world's fleets moving. We look at the industry from every angle and through every lens, from officers, drivers, enforcers, and a lot more. But we're only asking the hard questions. I mean, some are hard, but we've got some softballs in there too. We look at the industry through every angle and from every lens. We hear how they've built things, broken things, and some lessons they've learned along the way so that you don't have to. I'm Tim. I'm Trent. And this podcast is brought to you by Whip Around. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're back with part two of our episode with Jim and Steve on wheelins and brakes. The first episode was full of information on wheelins, but this one we're going to be talking about brakes. Brakes. Well, without brakes, you are up. You wouldn't stop, I'll tell you that. You would not be stopping. And we know, we absolutely know how important brakes are to the safe operation of any vehicle, let alone some of the big rigs that we have out on the roads in the commercial end of the transport sector. So let's kick it off with Jim and Steve, part two, brakes. Brakes, when we look at the BLT sandwich of uh, of of compliance violations brakes is always if not the top of the list certainly in that top three um something that i imagine is is for drivers uh, out on the road somewhat as complicated for them to assess the condition of brakes when they are out there in the middle of nowhere and, and trying to get a, a fair picture of um of brake quality why is that the case jim <laughs> uh, okay, fasten your seatbelt, Steve. Here I go. <laughs> <laughs> I warned you, Tim. <laughs> I love it. This is one of the issues that I have struggled with all of my career. From the time I was driving, and every year I've been writing about it, and every break story I write, uh, this comes up, and it's just crazy. Drivers are drivers. Brakes are brakes. They're they're a maintenance issue. I. Somebody somewhere down the line, 49 CFR, something or other, decided that drivers would be responsible for the vehicle. That means, you know, the lights, the windshield wipers, the door hinges, the fuel tanks, and the brakes all had to be under the driver's purview. And that person would be held responsible for their condition at roadside in events like road check. Well, if you think back to uh, the basic air brake endorsement that uh, any commercial driver has taken... They put this thing up on the wall. It's got a ton of hoses and tanks and pipes and valves, and this is supposed to represent a tractor air brake system. The drivers sit there and their eyes glaze over, and they just remember enough to pass the test. But the day they walk out the door, they have no idea what an R12 valve is and an R1 or a relay valve or an anti-compounding valve or whether the blue line goes to the yellow line or the red line and which one's hooked to the brake pedal. And frankly, it doesn't matter. This is what has always amazed me, is why there is so much emphasis placed on all this technical gobbledygook about the brake system, the schematics, and all that. Do I know how a turbocharger works? No. Well, I do, but that doesn't matter. (laughs) How about, you know, high-pressure direct injection? Do I know how that works? Do I need to know? No. Look inside a transmission. There's tons and tons of gears. Why don't I spend a week in truck driving school learning why this cog has 37 teeth and this one has 237 teeth? I don't need to know. It works or it doesn't, right? Same with the brakes. 
Do I need to know that the anti-compounding valve isn't working or where it is on the truck? No. I need to know what those brakes are supposed to do and how I can determine if they're not doing their job. And really, the, the whole issue of brake adjustment uh, has clouded the, the issue of proper brake condition and proper brake inspection for drivers. Because everybody's worried about exceeding that, you know, two-inch stroke length on a, you know, Type 30 chamber. If you've got automatic slack adjusters, automatic brake adjusters, some people call them, which we've had on trucks since the mid-90s, no truck on the road should be overstroking on paper. But yet we still see about 20% every year at roadside, uh, at road check and various operation air brake checks that they do, about 20% of the trucks being taken off the road for uh, overstroking brakes. So why is that? It's a fault with the automatic brake adjuster? Probably not. It's a fault with something else somewhere down in the brake foundation brake at the wheel end that the automatic brake adjuster can't compensate for. So what happens? You get pulled into an inspection, you get written up for having a brake that's overstroking, you take it down the road to the truck stop, the mechanic puts a wrench on it, ratchets the thing back into shape, checks it, okay, within two inches, you're good to go. By the time you're back on the on the on-ramp to the freeway, that brake is already out of adjustment again. Who are we fooling here? What's the point of holding drivers responsible for the mechanical condition of the truck if the people who are responsible for the mechanical condition of the truck, i.e. the fleet maintenance people, are not going to investigate the problem, the, the, the cause of an overstroking brake? The driver can't. I've never met a driver in all my years, 40 years in this business, 44 almost, who's ever done a mark and measure brake inspection, which is required, you know, uh, according to the uh, pre-trip inspection requirements in Canada and the U.S., drivers are supposed to mark and measure their brakes. Are you kidding? You're going to get out and lie on the ground in the mud every day and get your tape measure out? and, And bigger question than that, whether or not you're going to do it, is how you do it. Okay? The inspection says... Uh, the requirements say you're supposed to put a 90 to 100 PSI application pressure on the brake in order to check it for, you know, correct stroke length. There is no mechanism on any truck I've ever seen that will, with a flip of a switch, set a 90 PSI brake application. The OEMs will not do it for safety reasons. Yet, the driver is required to do that inspection at 90 to 100 PSI. How do we make that happen? You've got drivers who take a piece of hockey stick and jam it on the brake pedal and then wedge it under the dashboard. And who knows, maybe 80, maybe 110. But if they're out there inspecting their brakes and that hockey stick pops out and the truck rolls away, what happens? Have you ever seen a set of wheel chocks hanging on a truck? So we're setting our drivers up to fail. We're not giving them the tools that they need to make these brake inspections. How can you hold them responsible if you don't give them the tools to do it? Just ask them. It's a very interesting point. And Steve, in your world, you know, dealing with carriers every day and at all ends of that spectrum, whether it's it's working with them after an accident or whether it's mock audits um, in a more preventative sense, do you agree with what Jim is saying? Do you think the the 
industry out there really is putting too much onus on the driver to own these issues through the mechanisms that the the regulations require or do you see a lot of carriers setting the fighting the good fight and, and putting that responsibility responsibility back on their maintenance departments to, to own that a little bit more than maybe we assume i mean I, I agree with jim i think there's way too much put on the driver um and and frankly it's it's not the, the carers and the maintenance shops being accountable uh because it and and it's it's been a it, part of it's driven by to jim's point how the regulations read um and some ambiguity about who's responsible for what um and i think a lot of folks put it on the driver. Ultimately, it's the carrier's responsibility, and the carrier needs to provide safe and operate operable equipment to the driver. Um, and so I think if you look at some of the larger and more successful fleets, they have comprehensive programs. We talked about the three-legged stool a little bit earlier. I mean, they they have all elements of that covered, right? And and they and and they also um, get feedback from their drivers. They're having those regular communications. Their drivers aren't afraid to tell them or call them or let them know when there's a problem. And they encourage that, frankly. And they tell the drivers, look, I'd rather hear, even if you think it's an issue, let me know about it. Right. Don't, don't pencil with the DVIR. We want to know about it. Right. So, and and it, it takes a shift in culture and it does cost money, like Jim said, to do these things and to put these things in place. But at the end of the day, when we're talking about wheel separations and brakes, those are fundamental to the safety of that vehicle. We're not talking about conspicuity tape, right? So we need to take it seriously. We need to invest the time and energy and resources to do it right. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. You know, there's there's so many things to be inspected at, at, at a break, um, and drivers just aren't equipped to do it. Um, you know, you can't really tell if there's slack in the in the camshaft well yeah, i guess you could if you got right into it but um it's just in the in the time that people normally associate with taking you know for your trip inspection in the morning 15 minutes look at the dot they take 45 to go around a truck and there's a professional on a creeper who knows exactly what he's doing or she so how, how do you expect a driver to do that in 15 minutes more often than not, they're not even paid for that time. So drivers look at, well, geez, I could take 30 minutes and really inspect the shit out of this truck, or I could spend those 30 minutes driving and earning, you know, 40 cents a mile, 50 cents a mile. What am I going to do? I'm going to knock this inspection off as quickly as I can, walk around, check all the boxes, and get the heck out in the road. Well, you're not doing the fleet any favors, you know, by doing that. Yeah, I think, Jim, just to pick up on that a little bit, you know, from, you know, Given the operational realities, right? You were a driver for 20 years. We know what happens every day out there in the field. So from a practical standpoint, you know, and given your experience, you know, what what would you think would be the expectations on those drivers, you know, for on the brake side? Really some practical tips we can offer to them and 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 really pointed back on the carrier side, you know, what things are would be really in their bailiwick from your perspective to help help get those kind of roles and responsibilities worked out to, to the extent that we've got kind of operational readiness and, and everyone understands what's going to be the best optimal use of time. What are your thoughts there? You know, it, it's always stressed in those air brake courses um, not to rely on, you know, the 90 degree angle of the slack adjuster to the push rod when it's applied. What else have you got to go on? 
you like I said, absent uh, a mark and measure or a pull, a tug on on the push rod, which drivers aren't going to do. So why not tell them get down on one knee and look? Is the slack adjuster at approximately ninety degrees when you're with the, with the parking brakes on? Now that can lead to a false sense of security because the parking brake has a spring inside that applies roughly sixty pounds of pressure to the diaphragm. So you're still short of 100, which is what the DOT will measure you at. And if you're at 60 and you're at an inch and three quarters on your push rod, or you kind of look about that, if you apply the extra 40 pounds, that could push you beyond your two-inch uh, stroke limit. That's a technical requirement. As a driver, I want to know that my brakes are working. So I check them when they're released. You know, the brakes are retracted, slack adjusters back where it belongs. I put the uh, spring brakes on. I get a 60-pound application. It's kind of 90 degrees. I know there's something good happening down there. may not be perfect, but it's good. When I'm out on the road, no driver will ever do this, unfortunately, and we should all do it like every day, uh, is make a really solid brake application, like 30 pounds, and see what the truck does. If it starts pulling to the right or pulling to the left, if it does, you've got an imbalance at the wheel end. You've got more brake being applied on one side than the other. That could be a lining issue. It could be contamination. It could be any number of things. But that's not for the driver to figure out. All he knows is when he makes that 30 or 40-pound application, the truck goes this way, we need to get this thing into the shop. Do the brakes release quickly enough? When you make that 30 or 40-pound application and take your foot off the pedal, does the truck straighten right out and start going straight again? Do the brakes release quickly? That's critical, especially with, uh, you know, all this new um, um, stability control and what have you. Those brakes have to respond within fractions of a second, on, off, on, off, on, off, to get control of the truck back again. Well, if you've got a brake hanging up back on your trailer somewhere, uh, your, your stability control, the electronic stability control, isn't working. It's just, it's a dead weight on the truck because it's not functioning properly because the brakes aren't functioning properly. This is fundamental stuff. So... We need to teach drivers how to do those kind of dynamic inspections of their brakes, you know, obviously without launching their cargo out the front of the trailer. Uh, but but it can be done if they know what to look for. But I, you know, I figured this out on my own over the years, but I don't know of any brake course, uh, air brake course or uh, CDL endorsement that requires drivers or suggests drivers do that. Mountain driving is another one of those brake issues, but we won't go there. Um you, you need to know how to use these things and, and what you can expect from them and what they feel like when something's not working. But we're so busy with our schematics and our relay valves and our anti-compounding valves, nobody has a clue what brakes feel like when they're not working properly. Except that the truck doesn't stop. Just keep it oh, right on yeah. going. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It's interesting. You talk about stability control systems and you mentioned earlier about automatic brake adjusters. Um, and and a lot of a lot of folks um, are believe that these things are the silver bullet, right? So I, I put this stuff on my equipment. I don't have to worry about it. It's it's going to take care of itself, you know, and 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 let things ride. But but fundamentally, I think, and you mentioned it, you know, earlier that you know the foundation breaks. Though all of those systems rely on the foundation breaks, and and if you don't have, if you aren't taking care of that and the basics of that, then all that money that you've spent on all of that whiz, gang, whiz bang stuff ain't going to help you. 
No, so. no, not at all. Mm. Disc brakes help. They're more reliable generally than drums. Um, and we're, we're finally starting to see good penetration with disc brakes into the market, but we're still a long way from, you know, a majority of them out there being discs, air discs. But, you know, we're getting there. I just hope, you know, we figure out how to maintain and use the equipment we have properly yeah. uh, before we get too far down the pike. Well, I, I think you mentioned we talked. We've been talking about brake adjustment a little bit, and and that tends to get the most press, right? When we talk about roadside inspections, when mm -hmm. road check, they come out with their data and their results, and and you know what what are some other areas of brake of uh, brake safety that and brake issues should drivers and carriers be kind of paying attention to that that may may not get all the press and the the attention? What are your thoughts there? <laughs> Well, if you ever want a good, uh, an amusing half hour, uh, pick up a copy of CVSA's North American Out of Service Inspection Criteria Handbook, and then flip back to the. Uh, there you go. This is the one. Yeah. And flip back to the uh, the photo section where they have pictures of of stuff that they've pulled off the road. I've got it in front of me right now. Well, check check the brake section, man. You'll laugh. Uh, the sad part is all those pictures were taken during roadside inspections, which means those trucks were on the road with brakes in those conditions. Now, visually, uh, again, a look through that handbook will give you some clues as to what, what the problems are, but you can't really tell if there's slack in a camshaft, but you can tell when you've got a chafed brake hose or when you've got a giant bubble that's coming out of your hose when you make a brake application. Uh, listening for air leaks, uh, hissing sounds when you make an application. You know, this is another problem with that 100 PSI application I was talking about earlier. Uh, you want to go back and check the trailer uh, for uh, an air leak. If you pull down on the trailer valve in the cab, it'll spring back closed again. So you can't make a brake application, run back and listen for air leaks, and then get in the cab before this treadle valve springs back up. They put that on because they didn't want drivers to apply the trailer brakes, bail out of the truck, do whatever they're doing, and jump back in because the brake would eventually release and the truck would roll away. So they've taken away the driver's ability to do a proper brake inspection alone. If you have two people, that's great. There's probably a good living to be made working truck stop parking lots not as a lot lizard, but as a brake inspection assistant. You know, you could run around, help drivers. I'll listen for your air leak. I'll check your stroke. Uh, just kidding. But <laughs> how else are you supposed to do it? And when your wheels are, are 50 feet behind you, maybe you'll hear that air leak when you hang your head out the window if it's raining, but who's going to do that? So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, 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 prescri a, a procedure required in the CVSA inspection, roadside inspection criteria, where you make a full brake application and hold it for a period of time, I think it's 30 seconds or a minute, and your air pressure can't drop more than X PSI. I forget the numbers now. Uh, but if, any, if every driver did that, you know, released all their brakes, made an application, timed it and watched the gauge go down, at least you'll know if it doesn't exceed the parameters of the inspection, you're going to pass a roadside inspection. Yes, you'll have an air leak, but it's not a dangerous or critical air leak. But these are the sorts of things that, you know, probably a lot of drivers aren't doing in their daily, uh, their daily inspections. Because if they were, they wouldn't be caught uh, as often at roadside with, uh, with defective brakes. 
Some pretty practical uh, tips there, Jim. And do you think are these sort of things um, an outcome of years of experience? Are these things that sort of um, you know get get passed around and discussed in, in forums of people that have been around the industry? And and does if so, um, do we have a, an approaching problem with younger drivers on the roads? Um, a driver shortage contributing potentially to um, to lower caliber drivers who are potentially less invested in these sort of um, career long maintenance techniques and, and driving techniques that you discuss. Hmm. Interesting question. I th- there are differences in in the drivers we see coming into the industry today, younger ones. Uh, compared to the you know drivers who are 20 years old 40 years ago yeah um, I think they are more likely to be less mechanically inclined than drivers my age would have been when they started so that's not a problem if you work around it and teach them you know the proper inspection procedures but not just by rote you have to teach them in a way that they understand what's happening at the wheel end. You know, when you apply pressure to the diaphragm, the push rod moves out, uh, it pushes the drums, uh, the shoes against the drum, it creates friction, it stops the wheel. When they understand, you know, that process in their head and they can kind of visualize it, then that thing that they're inspecting at the wheel end starts to make some sense to them. But they need to sort of go beyond just step A, step B, step C, because uh, if they're walking around with the iPad or your your app or a clipboard doing their uh, their DVIR, and they don't understand what they're looking at, they're they're going to miss you know potential problems just because you know the knee bone's connected to the ankle bone, which is connected to the foot bone, and if that's not there, then you you're not going to see the whole picture or understand the picture. I think that's a really good point because I think throughout the conversation, we've talked about kind of roles of maintenance versus the drivers. And and while a lot of it is responsibility to the, the maintenance folks, the drivers really are the frontline defense, right? And so the importance of the DVIR is critical, right? And making sure that those pre and post trip inspections are being done and they're being done right and they're being done comprehensively. And to your point, Jim, those drivers have some sense of, of, of what it all means because that is, again, we've talked about the three-legged stool. That's a key part of it. And the driver seeing that equipment every day, right? So they, they should understand and know it more than anybody. So get, ensuring as a carrier, you're providing that those right tools to your drivers to help them be part of that successful process is critical, right? Absolutely. And this is where a lot of the, uh, you know the in-house training programs. I think are are short, coming are, are are shorting the drivers' ability to do their job properly. They spend a great deal of time at orientation. You know, doing paperwork and understanding how to use the uh, you know the onboard electronic log and what have you. But when you come in the door with a CDL, it's assumed that you know all these things about trip inspections and you know how to counter steer and a jackknife and all that kind of stuff. When do you ever review the driver's skills and abilities? My dad was an airline pilot. And uh, every quarter he had to go out on a check ride uh, where he had somebody sitting in the seat beside him, even as a captain. Uh, 
you know, with the clipboard, doing all the procedures, making sure he's flying the airplane properly and he's still got his stick and rudder skills to keep the thing in the air. How many truck fleets send inspection or, or check drivers out with their drivers on a regular basis, not for half an hour where you can kind of BS your way through a, a, a road test, but watching what these drivers do and, and how they do their inspections. <clears throat> Better still, you know, bringing drivers in on a Saturday, which you have to pay them for and police don't want to do that, but taking a small group, 5, 10 drivers, and walking them around the truck step-by-step step, doing this this trip inspection, not just pointing at a wheel and go, well, that's a wheel, you have to check the lug nuts by turn. Get down on your knees and get behind the thing. This is what you look for. You see this rust here? That indicates possibly a cracked spring. You see this little streak of oil here? Well, that le- you know indicates possibly um, uh, an oil leak somewhere. And walk them right through it, right up in their face, Fleets don't do it. And they assume drivers already know how to do it because somewhere in 49 CFR it says they're supposed to know how to do it. And we take that at face value and, and you know, come up wanting every time. And to get back to your point about younger drivers, they're taught just the basics in, in school, in driving school. You can't fault the student for that. You can't fault the driver. But then if you wanted to teach them enough to be, you know, professional drivers, the course would take 12 weeks and cost $12,000. Who's going to pay for that? Eh. You want to you know, see an exodus of students from driving schools, hike the price up to 12 weeks and $12,000. It's the fleets that need to be doing that. If they want you know, decent help coming in the door, if you're going to take somebody who's qualified, has a CDL, now let's make them a truck driver. You know, put them through that training. Do the uh, trip inspections. Go out in the road and make a 40-pound brake application. This is what it feels like with a fully loaded trailer when you hammer on that brake pedal. I'll bet there's, you know, 2 3% of the drivers out there on the road today have ever experienced a full brake application, panic stop, live to tell the tale, and learn something from it. It just doesn't happen. In, in, in aviation, they put pilots in simulators to, to, you know, do all kinds of crazy stunts that you can't do in a real airplane. But in trucking, you know, you go down the road all your life making 20-pound brake applications when you come into a red light because you're a really good driver and you don't exceed the speed of the truck and you don't do all this bad stuff. You have no idea what it feels like to make a panic stop because you've never had to make one. Mm. One day you might, and it's good to know what yeah. it feels like. That's a very, very good point, Jim. And uh, I think, you know, personally, I've learned not only a lot about uh, wheelie's brake systems, but a lot for us to take away, I think, and, and even work with our customers on better ways that they can leverage technology to um, apply a little bit more relevant focus on some of these areas, look for some of these indicators, help guide their drivers in more uh, sort of meaningful ways that aren't just uh, ticking the box of whether they can feel a, a lug nuts tired enough or not. To round out, um, I'm sure we could sit here all day and I probably will end up spending the rest of the day looking at these pictures that you've pointed out to me in the back of the out-of-service criteria booklet, which are just astonishing if, uh, if anyone's got a copy of it lying around. We're in the middle of uh, road check at the moment. Um you know, the focus is on wheelings. What do you expect some of the data to come out of the 72-hour blitz to look like? Do you think there's going to be some meaningful 
indicators of uh, a problem that is not being properly addressed? And and do you think anything is going to come from this um, this this year's road check? Uh, considering all of the things that you've you've walked us through today? Well, I predict we'll get uh, about 20% uh, break out of service rate. Nothing new there. <laughs> it's been that way for decades. Yeah. Um, their emphasis on wheel ends um, is an interesting one this year. I'm curious as to how they're going to go about inspecting wheel ends because, as I said, you can't tell if a lug nut's loose just by putting your hand on it. So if CVSA is bringing torque wrenches to the game, uh, I think that gives them an unfair advantage. Um, but it does, it will illustrate to fleets, um, you know, how many lug nuts are maybe dangerously loose. Again, when you get to a, uh, a roadside inspection and a defect is discovered by a roadside inspector, that defect could easily have been discovered by a driver. They don't invent them there at the roadside. They don't create them at roadside. So I think it speaks to what what they may find are, you know, weeping wheel seals, uh, broken sight glasses, um, which would cause, you know, oil to leak out or seep out. If they see a lot of wheels that are wet, you know, on the inside with streaked oil that's come out of the inside seal, uh, those trucks would be taken out of service. But presumably... Any other year when wheel ends weren't the focus, problems like that would have showed up too, and they would have been cited and written up and recorded. So I, I, I don't really know what to expect from results this year uh, and how they're going to go about achieving um, you know, meaningful numbers. So like I said, if the only way you can tell if the lug nuts are tight is to check the torque on them. So... Who knows? And, you know, <laughs> I don't even want to go here, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, if a DOT inspector puts a torque nut, a torque wrench on a lug nut and twists it, is he or she now liable for the tightness of that lug nut? Have they upset the balance? <laughs> so if my wheel nuts came off after a DOT guy put a torque wrench on it, I'd be taking that into court. Yeah. So that's kind of, I don't know what they're going to do. It sounds like something Steve's got a sparkle in his eye to take yeah. on and, and champion in the next uh, couple of months after road check by the looks of things. Jim, that was absolutely fascinating to me, not being a, a, a huge in, uh, expert in the the technicalities of some of these things. And uh, hand on heart, I learned a lot about uh, not only the components and why they're so important, but uh, I guess the approach to the outcome of these and the role that drivers play, the role that carriers play, the role that mechanics play in this, all being somewhat different to the, um, in, in a practical sense, to what the rules and regulations outline uh, in CFR. So thank you from me. Thank you for taking the time and uh, and giving us that insight to uh, something that, that clearly you're very knowledgeable knowledgeable about and passionate about. Um, I know that our, our listeners are going to really enjoy it. Well, there you have it. And we weren't lying. I mean, Jim Park is one of those guys that if he was my mechanic, I would take my car into him every day just to get him to talk me through what was wrong with it and how we can make my vehicle safer. Uh, huge insights into something that I guess, uh, I guess what? <laughs> I guess we will just take and utilize that information, yeah. put it to good use, 
And once again, say a big thanks to Jim and Steve for all the good info and for coming on to the show. Absolutely. Jim, hopefully we can get Jim back on. Jim back on. Hopefully we can get Jim back on because I think brakes and wheel ends are uh, only the start of the amount of knowledge and passion he's got for these sort of things. So I hope you enjoyed it. And once again, big thanks to our two experts in the room, Steve Kepler from Scope Elitis Transportation Consulting and Jim Park, Built for Podcasts. This episode was brought to you by Whip Round. Take control, improve the safety and compliance of your fleet, reduce costs and downtime, and become a true fleet champion. Go to whipround.com to learn more and to try it for free.